Welcome. This is Karen Modakaitis, and you're listening to How She Really Does It, the place where inspiration and possibility meet. Today's guest is Joanna Kamura, and she is coming to us from Poland. And the reason I've invited Joanna here, in addition to being my friend, is she's a brilliant leadership trainer and coach. And she works with teams and when I mean teams, corporations, as well as with teachers in Europe. And she's been featured in Poland's Forbes and Vogue, as well as many other media. And so we're going to talk about leadership and compassion. And we also talk about the obstacles because let's face it, right now we're all have a lot of obstacles that we're going through, especially during this time of 2020. It's been a challenging time for everybody. None of us have missed it. There have been maybe some beauties in it and there's been a lot of difficulties and we're also really depleted. It's been about seven months, right? We're really tired. So we go through and we talk about why is leadership important? Why is compassion important? And I invite you to open up and gather insights, gather nuggets from this because your brain may say, oh, but Corinne, I'm not a leader. My friend, we're all leaders, whether we're leading our own lives, we're leading our family, we're leading our friends, we are leading our workplace. Maybe it's the energy you bring in for the group of people that you work with and you get to lead that, or you have a title in the workplace that reflects a leadership title. Whether you have the title or not, we are all leaders and it's really important that we embrace that. So I invite you to listen to my interview with Joanna as we talk about leadership and compassion. Joanna, hello and welcome, my friend. Hello, welcome. Thank you for having me. Isn't this the beauty of the life that we live in? I'm in California in the US and you're in Poland and we're able to make the obstacles of time. Yes, that's the upside of both COVID and technology. (laughs) Yes. Oh, so I don't even know how many months, several months into uh, six, seven months into COVID, depending on where everybody is in the country listening. Where it started, yeah. How are you doing with COVID fatigue? I think I'm doing pretty, pretty good. I think I sort of started believing that instead of, you know, going into fear-based mode, I will just go into curiosity-based mode. Like, this is so crazy and so weird and so unexpected, well, expected in a way, but unexpected in the ways it made us force believe in a different, you know, in different ways, work in a different way, live in a different way. So I'm more curious about watching myself living the life that I'm living right now, but also watching people around me and the companies I work with, how do they cope with it? So I'm most of the time in the curiosity mode. And when you're in that curiosity mode, how does that help you be more effective for your clients? It gives me a chance to ask better questions. Like if they keep on saying that, well, we need to lay down a couple hundreds of people. It's like, I'm trying to make them see, it may sound you know, strange in a way, but I, I try to make them see what is the, you know, the, the good thing about it or what is the 
the chance that it's opening? What are the doors that are entering? What is behind those doors? For some, it just makes them realize that it's not only darkness that they're facing, there's also some sparks in the dark they need to try to find. Ooh, say more about the sparks in the dark. It's so easy to fall into the trap of thinking that it's all going downhill right now, like everything's changed, like where I am based, uh, the schools are reopened right now, but um, I'm not sure if it's worse. It's just totally different. So I'm trying to make my clients, but also myself, to, to try to find tiny sparks so that after a couple of you know, weeks or months, we can create a fire around the whole COVID thing. So I'm trying to make them see that there are some sparks around them. We just need to be really mindful and cautious and open-hearted to see them. I think what you're talking about is really important because, you know, in the beginning, everybody's like, and I thought this too, of, oh, we're going to go into shelter in place. It's going to be two weeks and that's crazy. And how do we do that? And we're all going to be living at home. And, and I thought it was two weeks. Yeah. And, and everybody thought, oh, we're going to return to normal. And then there was the conversations and the writings and stuff about there is no normal. We're not going to be coming back to normal. And then the grief around that. And, you know, again, especially in my country, I think you guys have a bit more freedoms than we do in the US. Instead of normal, like going back, it's what can we create moving forward? Exactly. I'm really fascinated with using the word of normal, like going back to normal, because I read an article recently that it basically stated that the way we used to live wasn't normal. It was just crazy and hectic. And we were so consumed with, you know, getting more or working faster or traveling faster and further and just made me think that do I, do we as a family or as a company or as a team, do we really want to go back to what's, you know, what we've been experiencing before COVID-19? And most of the people I ask, they say, no, I miss some of the things we were able to do, like, like having parties or going to the cinema. But most of the people say, I, it just made me think that I want to implement a change in my life. I want to change this or that, or it enabled me to create a more meaningful relationship with my husband or my spouse or my children. So I don't want to lose that again. Mm -hmm. I know here in my town and with the Aquamonsters families, the swim team that I run, you know, this was such a quieter summer for them because they couldn't do all those activities. They couldn't do all those sports because of COVID. Swimming was one of the few things that they could do. And so they had a lot of space. But Joanna, I don't think that that was actually a bad thing. I think it was nice for families to be able to spend time, to get a little bored of each other, and to have a simpler life than, you know, everybody running around and trying to make, you know, these impossible schedules mm -hmm. to occur. Again, as life teaches us, there's always the dark side and the and the light side, the beautiful side. The dark side for, for so many people around me, myself included, was trying to balance the schedules of me, my partner, and the kids and trying to figure out how we're going to do it, having two rooms and a kitchen and trying to figure it all out. So plenty of moments when I was like, oh, I'm just exhausted. But going back down the memory lane right now, I think it just grew us stronger as a family. And I think people got, well, in Poland, it's a little bit different because we can meet we, and the restaurants are open and you can, if you're okay with it, you can go out and have a drink or two. So the people that I was 
doing team coaching with, they said, let's arrange a Zoom during which we're going to just celebrate the project that we're working on. And one of the ladies said, I'm just so fed up with seeing your faces through Zoom. I just need to see you face to face, like heart to heart and hand to hand. So again, the spark in the dark, going back to what I said earlier, is that people realized that the things used to so easily, once they were taken off the schedule are the things that we're missing the most. So it made us realize that even though I'm fed up with, you know, (laughs) trying to have a Zoom call when they're watching TV and it's too loud, it made me realize that there are so many things that I love about the time that we have together, but also so many things that I miss of having the opportunity to to do or pursue. I think it's pretty much all over the world where people Mm -hmm. just realize that they miss the things they took for granted. I think it's helping people get clarity right? They're getting clarity about, oh, what is really important and getting clarity of, okay, I've had enough Zoom. Here's what I need, right? Because some people I found have found their voice. And instead of just going along, they're saying, nope, no more Zoom for me. And that for them is a courageous, you know, a request, a courageous conversation that they normally pre-COVID wouldn't have had, but they've hit this topping point. And I, you know, I mean, I've been with Zoom now for I don't know, five or six years. And I've been part of, you know, I've had a coaching practice, you know, in this online world for, I don't know, 10, 12 years. I get drained from it. And I have a pretty high capacity because of the work that I do. And I think about people who are new to Zoom, it's exhausting. I mean, it's exhausting for me to do, you know, probably my max is about four hours in a day. And if you're new at it, and a lot of companies in the US, a lot of my clients, you know, sometimes they're in these meetings and it's like seven or eight hours a day on Zoom. It's exhausting. Yeah back to back and with tiny space in between. Yeah, it it is exhausting and it is, it's exhausting emotionally wise and physically wise and psychologically wise and socially wise. So I think the new skill that we need to acquire is, or we have already been acquiring already, is to use Zoom in a way that it's still supportive and it's not killing all the, you know, spheres that I've just mentioned. And it's a skill and we've never been taught how to take care of ourselves when we're having back-to-back Zoom calls. It's a challenge. I have to mention this. From time to time, I work with teachers. We were planning to have a face-to-face workshops throughout the year, but because of the COVID, we had to move to Zoom. And what I've noticed on the, again, light side of things and the spark in the dark is that the teachers, there are like 50, 55 or 45. So a generation that in Poland wouldn't be so flexible with all the tech staff Mm -hmm. had to Mm -hmm. learn how to use it really quickly. And Mm -hmm. after three or four months, I just did a training with them a month ago and they were so fluent with the, the mic is on or off, the camera is on and off. They were so fluent that it gave me so much hope that once we are forced as a, you know, human being, as a species to learn something new, something that was perceived as impossible turned Mm -hmm. out to be possible because there was no other option. So I think this goes to compassion and curiosity. So with, again, with our little Aquamonster kid, we turned the Aquamonsters into a virtual swim team when we were shelter in place because, you know, I thought about it. I was like, okay, what do our families need? And, you know, parents were trying to transition to working from home and kids didn't have school in my town for three or four weeks. We just, the schools just shut down. And so that was a way to offer value. And the kids were amazing because they were figuring out Zoom, like how to change their names, right? They had all mm-hmm. these fun names. They had these backgrounds. I'm like, what are they doing, right? And 
my coaches said, Corinne, they're just really curious. Yes. So because they're curious, they're open to learning so much faster. Mm-hmm. Right? Mm-hmm. Exactly. And they're not worried about making mistakes. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, because they do not stumble on them. They just make a mistake and move on. Whereas <laughs> me, I would just, you know, think about a, a day, two, three, maybe not weeks anymore, which is a, you know, which I'm proud of, not not weeks anymore, but days. I still feel like I should have said that or I shouldn't have said that or I should have done this exercise differently or, you know, talk to this GM in a different way. But uh, with them, it's just amazing. It, they are great teachers of how to move on once the mistake is made. Well, they're compassionate, right? Like they're kind to themselves. They can make a mistake. They don't second guess themselves like you were just talking about. They're, they're like, hey, what happens when I do this? Yeah, yeah. yeah. Oh, it doesn't work. Okay, so I'll try a different way. We the adults are like, oh, it doesn't work. So I guess I'm not good at it. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I'm not good enough. So on the flip side of that, like I watch my husband who's Mr. Anti-Technology. He doesn't own a cell phone. He has a computer. He always carries that with him, but he really just doesn't like technology. And he was pretty resistant to converting over to Zoom with his university and with swim team and stuff. But he actually, once he got over that, it was probably a lot like the teachers because he cared so much about, you know, supporting his athletes and his students he got over himself and his own resistance. Like he knows more about breakout rooms than I do when about pools <laughs> yes. and all that stuff, right? Like, cause he just does that. I mean, I have a person, like when I do big groups, I did a big dare to lead training over the summer and we had people that uh-huh. would handle all of that stuff, right? So I didn't have to worry about that. But here he is, Mr. Anti-Tech, no cell phone, mm-hmm. knows breakout rooms and knows how to do polls and stuff. I'm like, look at you. Mm-hmm. But again, it was because he cared about serving his people. Yes. I think it was a history teacher that was a part of the group that I was facilitating. And she said, you know, Joanna, what happened? I didn't know what YouTube is until they locked us down and I had to record my history lessons. And she did. She bought a camera, she recorded the lessons and she put them on YouTube and sent a link to, to her students with a password and everything. And she said, this it was just a beautiful thing because she said, you know what happened? I said, no. And she said, the students just loved the new format because it's their natural format. They use YouTube all the time. So they, she gained a new kind of respect from them, not only because she did it, but, but because she, they knew how fearful she was of the whole thing. But if there's a will, there's a way. And some of us had to just you know, change the way we perceive things and open to new things that were scary to us. Once we do it, like this lady that I mentioned, they just respected her even more because she was speaking the language that they naturally speak. And she let them see her vulnerability, Mm -hmm. right? It's like, oh, our teacher who's supposed to be this expert, right, is doing something she's uncomfortable with. Okay, I guess we can do hard things. We can do uncomfortable things as well. Exactly. And She's also, you know, using a a medium that we're comfortable with, but she's outside of her comfort zone, but now she's speaking in our language more, right? Mm -hmm. This is exactly what happened also to the the managers that I work with. And at the early stages of COVID-19 in Poland, when we were transferring, you know, moving on to Zoom and and other platforms, some of them were really scared about the way they're going to manage their teams and not having people in one room was, was a scary scenario for them. Because they had no other option. They just had to, you know, move on with the platforms. So once they started doing it, 
they just said at the very beginning, you know what, you know, guys, I'm just really scared. I'm not sure if it's going to work. Well, all the craziness that is happening around the world and all the things that are crazy in our company, I just hope for the best for all of us. And that statement and the the vulnerability and honesty and authenticity brought some teams really, really close together. And which was especially crucial during the first couple of weeks when people were like, I don't know what is happening. Just, you know, I don't know. I don't know. I, and there were so many emotions within us and between, you know, the, the teams that we're working on. So showing that you're scared when there's something really, you know, strange in front of you and you have to face it is what made these themes that I have in my mind right now stronger. There were more trust because you could keep on the, the armor on. Mm-hmm. You could keep the mask on or the facade, whatever we call it. But I can even pinpoint the man, the managers that decided to be honest and say that they are as scared as, as you know the part of the team that they're managing. And it brought them closer together. And I mean, these are just examples of when you're willing to be vulnerable, right? And you're willing to be seen and you show up and then people show up with compassion, which is the, and the attribute I'm thinking of as you're talking about this is common humanity. You're not the only one that is afraid. You're not the only one that is, you know, afraid of Zoom and technology and getting it wrong. But when we connect together, we can actually rise up together and we're stronger together. Mm -hmm. And not mentioning the emotions that are happening within us and around us, I think it's just stupid business-wise because it's not like the emotions... You know, it's just, yeah, it's not like they disappear. The emotions are still there and not mentioning the elephant in the room just takes so much energy and so much cognitive, you know, resources, uses them in a way that could be used in a totally different way. So we we use uh, numbing the emotions instead of starting a meeting saying, so how is everybody? Like, what are your challenges right now? And some of the teams that I work with said, you know, my biggest challenge is having my kid, like three-year-old in another room so that it doesn't interrupt me when I'm having this call with you guys. And I'm so scared or stressed or tired of him or her, you know, just coming in and saying, hi, mama. And I'm just so exhausted with having the homeschooling and stuff. And once that was cleared, like the whole meeting was a, on a different level. And everybody were, as you said, more compassionate, not only towards our, like each of them towards themselves, but also towards others. And that's the power of the new, I think, leadership that we're like combining the brain with the heart and using the heart as the force of change. Yeah, because in the past, right, that as a young up and coming leader for myself in my own career, it was like, oh, well, don't be emotional like a woman. Mm-hmm. Right? That, was, that was always like kind of the messaging. And it was like the idea is, oh, being emotional is a weakness. And really what you're talking about, what I totally believe is that it's so important to understand your emotions because otherwise you talk about the numbing. I see so much self-sabotage that goes on where people lose their minds, right? Misbehave in very important meetings, sabotage deals, offload a lot of pain and create a very unsafe working environment when they don't have emotional self-regulation. Yeah. I work with IT teams quite often and I'm a trained psychologist. So every time I enter the room, it's like, okay, why are you here? Like, like what's wrong with us? And I said, there's nothing wrong. I just want to tell you that the emotions are beautiful. You know, that's a beautiful landscape and it, blah, blah, blah. They were looking at me with this, you know, eyes, just like, what are you talking about? But one day I just decided that I'm going to talk about emotions in a way, in a way that they're sort of like data. Like, mm-hmm. let's look at the emotions as if they were data. 
you are IT guys, so you, you know, guys and girls, mm-hmm. you know, data is important and not analyzing the data that are coming with, you know, from within. It's just business-wise, again, it's just stupid. You have to look at the things that are around you and within you. And once you have that skill of being aware of what is happening inside of you, there's more freedom to do or say or think, but not having the awareness of what is happening inside of you acts based on assumptions or based on some schemes that you were brought up with. And it's a trap. So getting out of this trap is getting to know yourself a little bit more every single day. And emotions are the language that our inside talks to the outside. I don't know if you know who Todd Cashton is. He's a researcher, George Mason University. He's been on my show. and But he wrote the book called the, he's a positive psychologist, and he wrote the book called The Upside of the Dark Side and how you know negative emotions aren't a bad thing. They're just here to give you information, right? And I love that because I work with a lot of IT people as well. And they come to me and they're like, Corinne, I don't understand these emotions. What's going on? And I'm, you know, they just learned how to disconnect from their emotions growing up or at some point. And the point that you're talking about is it's data, it's information. It's not a good or bad thing. It's giving you information. Then you can understand what do you need to do to solve the problem, to overcome, you know, the obstacle that may be placed, right? Like, what are you feeling? And then how do you move through it? I think so many people are afraid to feel because they think they're going to live there forever. What do you think? Yeah, they're they're afraid that they're going to live there forever. And also that there are some, there's a way a society looks at the emotions. And as you said, negative emotions, I try to look at them as that shows the people that I work with that there are no negative and positive emotions. There are pleasant ones and unpleasant ones, or the ones that society likes and the society doesn't like, or the one that there are gender sort of assigned. (laughs) For example, like sadness, a female can be sad, but when a man is sad, it's just something is wrong with him. He can be angry. Well, while she sort of can, at least that's what what the landscape looks in Poland. And I think in Europe as well. So it's the fear of being judged as, as you said, emotional. It's the fear of not feeling the right emotions, like the sexy ones, like the joy or excitement or hope or the pleasant ones or the nice ones. But it's also the fear of being flooded with the emotions that come from within. Because, and it's a reasonable fear because most of the people I work with, the 30-year-olds, 40-year-olds, or 50-year-olds, or 60-year-olds, were not equipped with the ways they can manage the emotions or the knowledge about the emotions. So what we're trying to do during different workshops or coaching sessions, we just learn the names of the emotions, the physiology of the emotions. And it's sort of like going back to first grade, myself included, that helps to gain the knowledge and also the skill set around how to manage them. Because you mentioned, you beautifully wrapped up the things that I that I think are important about emotions. And that's, first of all, it's easier to understand when I know what I'm feeling, it's easier for myself to understand myself. But it's also so much easier to get what other people might you know be feeling or experiencing in different situations. So it doesn't only equip me with more knowledge about myself, but also equips me with the idea of what other people may you know be experiencing. And that leads us to empathy because empathy is something, is this beautiful thing that is the glue that connects people. But it's it only works when you know how to connect to the emotions that the other person is feeling. And it's so much easier to do it 
once you're aware of what the emotions are, how do we experience them, and how do we manage them? Yes. And so important. And you said something that was I want to go back to is not only is it important to understand your emotions, but when you can understand emotions, and especially as a leader, and then you can have that space to hold empathy, right? And hold space for people. And one of the things that you can allow the space for when people are in those uncomfortable feeling states. Yes. It's exactly what you said. It's creating the space, especially for the unpleasant emotions. Mm-hmm. It's telling your people that you can come in and say you're angry. It's Or even not telling them. It's just being a role model. Like you can come in and just share that, you know, this or that or this person or that person is just making you, you know, feel this and that. It's what connects us. It's the bits of connection that actually make every relationship, no matter if it's a private one or a professional works, it's just, I can express, you know, (laughs) enough how important it is. Um, An eating disorder Mm -hmm. person recovering, not any, there are some, some psychologists or therapists that say that you will never be recovered from that. But I think I am already. And it's just for half of my life, I just thought it was the most difficult thing that I had to go through. And that made me realize that since I was 16, I was sort of forced by these circumstances to go to therapy and to get to know myself. And it just equipped me with so much knowledge of who I am, who am I becoming, who I don't want to be anymore. And and it just, I would recommend not going through eating disorders to anybody. <laughs> that's the, you know, that's not what I'm saying. I'm just saying that the earlier you start the this path of getting to know yourself, the easier the life is. It's not easier like it's only rainbows and butterflies. It's mm-hmm. just easier to manage. Well, it's that resilience piece, right? It gives you resilience and strength. And, you know, one of the things about COVID is when it first happened and everybody was kind of freaking out and I was talking to my coach and he goes, how are you doing? And I looked at him via Zoom and I was like, I was built for this shit. <laughs> like, I'm like, exactly. Chaos, uncertainty, like I got it. (laughs) I was born (laughs) to do it. Yes. Yes, exactly. And and it doesn't mean that this time hasn't been hard. It has been hard. And I've been able to figure things out along the way. And then I've used like every damn tool that I have in my toolbox. And then I've also given myself timeouts and said, I don't have to check email on the weekends or I'm not going to work or whatever it was that I needed to refuel. But yes, I was definitely prepared for this. And it doesn't mean that this was easy because this was as before we got on, we were talking and I told Joanna, I think this is the hardest year of my life. Mm-hmm. Right. Mm-hmm. But because of my own past and my own traumas and my own, you know, things that I've overcome, I was able to figure out how to move through a global pandemic and with lots of falling down moments. Exactly. Exactly. One of the interviews that I was part of, somebody asked me, like, what would you recommend the leaders to, you know, train right now? What are the skill sets that they need to train right now? <laughs> and I made a joke like, if they want to train now, it's too late. Like <laughs> they should have done it like months earlier or years earlier. Because the previous experiences, once we are aware of what they were made of, how we manage them and we get to know ourselves looking through the lens of past. All the things that happen in the past can be the things that will build the future of ours. It's again, it's about the, having the courage to look back at your life, 
all the things that you had to go through. And with, for example, with me, with bulimia, I honestly had that thought once you mentioned it, I just thought, oh my God, I had exactly the same thought when the pandemic was, you know, picking up in Poland and they were shutting down the, the borders and there were no, you know, flights and, and everything and the stores and the restrictions. So many people around me were really, really anxious and I felt like it cannot be worse than bulimia. I don't want to go, go into, you know, the discussion of what is worse. It's just that I know what it's, what it's like to be in a dark place. And having no hope and wanting to like dissolve or disappear. For me, this whole thing wasn't as bad as bulimia. So I thought, okay, taking time to reflect and have a perspective that teaches you, you've been already through difficult times already. So just, you know, get your notebooks, take the lesson, do the homework and just move on. Well, and I think that's really the truth is that everybody, you know, and there was a time probably... 14 years ago when I first started this show of like, I thought, oh, there were those who had just these charmed lives. I wasn't mm -hmm. one of them. Mm -hmm. Right. And so, you know, that's why they have this amazing life, but really everybody's gone through difficult things. Yes. You know, and so think back into what you've overcome as you're trying to brave forward in this, I think. And that's the really important thing is we've all gone through difficult things And one of the things that has really helped me a lot is I think of a Victor Frankl's book, Man's Search for Meaning, mm -hmm. you know, and, and he talks about meaning comes in one of three ways of being in a loving relationship, going through something difficult and being of service. Well, one of the things I will always say is being in a loving relationship is all of those things. Every single day. <laughs> so we all have our traumas, our sufferings, our painful moments, and we can look into them and say, okay, what were the things that helped me get through it? And while I was never, you know, experienced the concentration camps, but you know, and I was young and I read the diary of Anne Frank and I think about how somebody again, like Victor Frankl, who could lose so much and have hope that they will get through this and he will be freed. And then he will, you know, he was so committed to, you know, making sure people learned about his experience. So one of the things that when my, the queen of certainty, the woman and the old person inside me, who's like, <laughs> Oh, I have to know exactly yes. what's happening <laughs> is I don't know how it's going to look on the other side, but I'm going to have hope and faith in humans that we're resilient and we'll figure this out. And maybe I, I can't figure out, you know, January of 2021, mm -hmm. but what can I figure out, you know, today? Mm -hmm. What does my brain have the capacity for? So I think that's what you're talking about is we've all gone through stuff. We all have stories mm -hmm. of how we've overcome and let's lean into those to help us move forward. Yes. Yes, exactly. And with Victor Frank, I love the book, although it's a heartbreaking one, but also a hope giving one. What I remember from that book is that he was trying to convey a message that goes like this between action and reaction. There's this sacred space that you get to choose the reaction. So you get to choose how you're going to make sense out of what is happening to you. And you could do it. You and me and everybody can do it while the things are happening, like with the COVID thing. And you can always do it in a retrospect. So you can go back and look at your life and said, so I could have done this, or I could have done that. What's the lesson? The other one is that we sometimes fantasize that some people just go through life like floating on a <laughs> I don't know like a puffy chocolate it's why we love the stories of sort of let's say famous people who share their struggles that's why we love the way they uncover themselves we are all the same 
We are mm -hmm. facing the same fears. We're facing the same challenges. What's different is the level of awareness that we go through and the courage, you know, to take the lesson that each and every single experience is hoping to teach us. Because otherwise, on the spiritual side of things, <laughs> it will come back. It will just be a, a different experience, but the, the lesson will come back. So it's just, it just makes sense to, you know, to do it the first time because otherwise it's going to come back and it's going to give you another lesson and another lesson until it teaches us what we have to know. Yeah, pay attention. <laughs> so, so I'm just warning you. Like, if you wanna <laughs> just just take the lesson, do it, do your homework, and just move on to a different one. Because, and I'm talking from experience. Like, when I'm trying to avoid something, it's just gonna in a different form. Well, don't you think that's why it's so important as leaders to really develop the skill set of being compassionate? Mm -hmm. Because then you can one face what it is, the hard things, you realize you can be kind to yourself and you can realize that, hey, I'm not the only one. And then be really mindful of what are the thoughts and the stories, you know, and the feelings that I'm feeling, but without being connected to them. This compassion, you know, I had this one client, she's a leader and it took a long time, several years, because she used to say to me, Corinne, compassion is weakness, right? Because she'd really bought into that you know, oh, we can't be emotional as women. And, you know, and she's a high achiever. And what she's learned is, it's, it goes back to what you're saying, because the lesson kept showing up in different ways. And a couple of years ago, she faced some health situations and she's like, Corinne, I think compassion is going to be my way through this. Yeah. 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 And, and the funny thing is that so many people, especially in the business settings, think that compassion is going to take the edges off, the edges that help them to achieve this or that. It's what 180 degrees different because the, the example I use is if you were to imagine yourself entering a new challenge or a new project, there will be a person assigned to you, like your companion. Would you prefer to have an inner critic that would just point out all the mistakes that you've done? Or would you like an honest friend to be the one that's going to walk every step of the way? And we so rarely think about what is happening inside of our head because most of the time we have a, a set of critics within our mind telling us that this is wrong, this is bad, this is too fast, this is too slow, this is not enough, not good enough, and blah, blah, blah. And what if we could sort of set ourselves to move on with every adventure of our life, like the personal or professional one, being accompanied by a friend, an honest friend, not the one that says, you know, oh, you're just perfect, you're just perfect, but an honest one, like the one that says, you know, this was really good, but I know you can do a little bit better. Or the one that says, it was just, you know, beautiful. You don't have to be, you know, hard on yourself. It was just beautiful. And when I ask people, if you were to choose one of those, which one would you like to live your life through with? Which one would you like to live your life through with? I know what it's like to live with the bad one. So <laughs> <laughs> I, yeah, I sometimes let it in still because it's instilled so deeply within myself. But what helped me, and maybe it's a funny way in for compassion to come in. But the first time I adopted a dog, I had a Malamute. It's a, quite a breed. She's a shelter dog. So the first days and weeks and months were really a, a huge challenge because she was scared of every single thing. She was scared of, you know, us leaving the house or going into an elevator or moving around the neighborhood. And it just made me realize how compassionate I can be towards her and how little compassion do I have to myself. And it just made me realize that 
I need to teach myself the way I talk to her. And mm. at the very beginning, I honestly was thinking of what would I tell to Taiga, my dog? And I would call her sweet names and, you know, cuddle her and feed her. And I said, when was the last time I cuddled myself? Or when was the last time I just said I was just so beautiful when I pee on the floor? It's like, <laughs> never. I know what it's like to live with an inner critic because eating disorders are all about that. Mm -hmm. And I just, it just made me realize that it's so miserable. I'm going to put some effort and energy and cognitive skills to actually capture myself every single time I'm going, I'm more of a person listening to inner critic than I'm more of a person that is listening to my inner friend. And it's, it's a choice I have to make every single day. Even this morning when I woke up and I had a long day ahead because now we have a nine hour difference between mm -hmm. <laughs> California and Poland. When I woke up and I, I remember the, the list of to do's that I have to do as like, why do I keep on, you know, having my day so full? you should have done this. You should have done that. You, you know, you're, you're going to, you know, be burnout, like blah, blah, blah. It's like, just shush, just shush. These are the things I love since having my own company. It's just be very mindful of the way I talk to myself inside because it's, I know when, where it can get me and it's not a good place. Right. It just adds to the exhaustion. And we are so culturally programmed to beat the crap out of ourselves, right? It's beat the crap out of you so that you do better and you rise up, but actually that doesn't work. It works short term. Shame is a powerful igniter. What I say is that it's not a sustainer. And if we're in this for the long haul and like COVID, we're in it for the long haul, but life we're in for the long haul, compassion is the biggest motivator for change. And I'm always reminding my clients who are leaders that compassion is the biggest motivator for change. And so, you know, when the interesting thing is, I think Brene has it, talk to yourself the way you would talk to your kids. And I'm like, uh, cause I didn't learn this stuff till later. So my mantra is talk to myself the way I would talk to my clients, because that was the level of who I became. And I started to learn about compassion and how important it was and to hold that space because, you know, when you can be compassionate, it doesn't mean that, oh, you can do whatever you want, right? You can just go ahead and go on a food binge. That's not what compassion means. Compassion has boundaries. There's an accountability with that comes with compassion, right? And so when you talk about that, you know, honest friend, that inner friend, being that inner friend is really looking at what am I doing well and what can be improved? Mm -hmm. And those are like my two favorite questions of 2020. Because it's not that you're like, oh, I'm just so amazing and I'm so fantastic and there's nothing wrong with me. That's not compassionate. No, I wish it was, but it's not. No. <laughs> and I think that can border kind of on the arrogance, but like, what do I do really well and really own that and stand in that brilliance and what can be improved? Because we can all grow and learn. Those are compassionate ways to look and to lead. And then if you do that as a leader, how can it affect the teams that you're managing, the students that you're managing? I couldn't agree more. With the compassion, there are so many myths around it, especially the biggest one is the, what I'm compassionate toward myself or others. I'm just going to, you know, let people off the hook. It's totally not about it. It's about, as you said, there's no compassion without boundaries. And I'm talking of experience as well. It was a path that I had to take. It's so beautiful when you see people exploring the topic of compassion and they're trying to apply it in the personal life, but also in the professional life. It's like looking at a flower that is just, you know, growing and expanding and getting more and more colorful. It's just so powerful. And I think the whole world needs more than ever 
more compassion, like both Poland, Europe, United States, and all the countries that I get to work with. It's just, we're missing compassion. So the next level, the next thing that we have to focus on is going back to common humanity, as you said, and common humanity is part of being compassionate toward ourselves because we see ourselves within the eyes of the other person that we're talking to, especially right now with these things that are happening around the world. And don't you think with that being said is because, you know, we need to talk about return on investment, right, for these companies is that when we can lead with our hearts and we can actually do better work, be more productive and also do better in terms of now, I don't want to talk about the greed, but, you know, because people think, oh, if you're compassionate, then you it's either you're compassionate and you're poor, but you can do well for your company in terms of making money, productivity, that sort of thing with leading with the heart that you're talking about? Yeah, it's the biggest challenge I think I have to face when I'm working with different companies, bigger ones, smaller ones, startups. Well, with startups, it's a little bit different because they are usually young people who are eager to, you know, their hearts in. The biggest challenge I have to face is that how is it going to help us to be more compassionate? And, and again, I keep on saying that it's just recognizing a human being within a human being is something that is going to motivate people more than forcing them to do stuff or telling them to do stuff and acknowledging that there are you know emotions within that person and as we said just creating a space for the emotions to come up even if it's like a a coffee machine talk like so how how you've been how your kids this is what compassion is all about they are not exclusive like being compassionate excludes being successful It actually beautifully works together. And the example I usually use is you can manage by force. When you add heart to force, power, you know, is brought to life. So instead of Mm. using force, we want to use power, but power includes heart. Oh, I love that. Well, on that note, Joanna, I'm going to end. This has been great. I love talking with you and sharing like how you do things over there in Poland and how I'm doing stuff over here, reminding people how important compassion is and also curiosity, because I think those are going to be our two things way through it. And I appreciate you saying about the negative emotions, right? Because I don't usually like to call them negative. I usually like to call them painful Mm -hmm. emotions, right? Because they are painful, like shame is painful. But the thing I know is I can feel shame and it's a great information to help me move through it, right? I feel it, I recognize it, I move through it. So it's not, I don't consider shame a bad emotion. It's painful. Fear Mm -hmm. is painful. Anxiety is painful, but they're messengers. And because I become aware of those messages, I can figure out solutions, which is something that I like to do. (laughs) Right. Or or I can just sit with it and have a good cry and then figure out solutions. But yes, yes. So I just appreciate being able to have this conversation so that people can understand hopefully a bit more of and give themselves permission about understanding their emotions and also understanding why compassion is so important as a leader. So thank you. Thank you so much. As a wrap up, I just want to mention the thing that I've I've learned from Marianne Williamson, because uh-huh. at one of her talks, she was asked a question, how can I, you know, move on with my life when there is so many bad things happening around the world? And she answered, you know what? Day is a 24 hour thing. There's time for cry and there's time for action. So first cry and then do something to make the world a braver and better place. And it just it reminds me that it's okay to cry when I'm just so fed up or tired or anxiety. 
but there's also time for action. So let's make space for both for feeling and for us all doing. Yes, that's fantastic. All right, Joanna, thank you so much. Thank you so much. Thank you. Well, thank you for being here with my friend, Joanne and I, as we talked about leadership and compassion and in our emotions. And I'm so grateful that she shared her story about her hardships and how that actually built her and prepared her for her life today. And it doesn't mean that we go and seek tragedy or we seek bad things happening to us or we do bad things to ourselves because we're like, oh, I'm going to grow from it. But instead, when you go through those really difficult times, and right then is not when you need to figure out the meaning and purpose. But if you need support at that time, the thing that I've reminded myself as I've gone through difficult times, even this summer, of this is making me be a braver leader, be a better leader to evolve to the next version of me. And in 10 years, I will look back and I will say, thank you. I wasn't able to say thank you in the summer of 2020, but in the 2030, I'm going to say thank you because the things that I went through this year will prepare me for my future self and who I'm becoming and what I'm going to go through while they may have been difficult this summer, what I do know from my own past experiences is that as I continue to grow and get stronger, they become less difficult. doesn't mean that people behaving poorly is acceptable, but what it does mean is I'm much better at managing my brain, managing my emotional energy, and also managing the energy that comes to me, you know, the meanness of others. And instead of letting people squat in my head and be renters without paying any rent, or for me to be an invisible soldier, both of those are podcasts that we'll put links in the show notes to. But instead, I get to be more of me. So I invite you to one, be compassionate with yourself. We need compassion. That means self-kindness. Right? Be kind to yourself. Remember, the storms may be different and it may be rockier, but we're all going through hard things. And there is somebody out there that can really understand what you're going through. So trust that and be open to it. And you may run into somebody who's going through that and you'll be like, oh, I'm not the only one. And then finally, Be mindful and mindfulness means understanding your thoughts and your feelings without getting attached to them. And that's something that I've talked a lot about here. I talk about in my mindset. We have the mindset journals we sell. That is how you practice not getting attached by being aware of the thoughts and your feelings. It's not running away from them, which we all want to do, but it's about feeling them, feeling them without reacting to them, without getting emotionally hooked and then being able to move through them. So I hope you enjoyed my conversation with Joanna. And remember, the obstacles that we have gone through, while it may feel like, and you may believe at that time it's tearing you down or breaking you, it's building you to be strong. And I will also leave you with, (laughs) there are some days, especially on a weekend, give yourself permission. You don't have to be strong. I've spent the fall enjoying a lot of Marvel 
movies. And I've also shut it down earlier in the evening because I didn't want to take that energy at night with me. So I just finished the Avengers, the end game. It's three hours long, (laughs) but it's taken like five days to watch, but it was great. I loved it. I watched it. It was a bit sad, but I loved it. That has been where I gave myself permission. I didn't have to be brave. I didn't have to be strong. I could just sit there and watch and entertain and also cut it off so that I could sleep well at night. So my friend, I am smiling big for you. Lead, be compassionate. It's really, really important. It's fundamental for what we need so that we can show up and be brave. And stay tuned. I have an announcement after this. Very exciting. Do you give yourself permission to create what you desire? Or do you listen to that voice in the back of your head that says, someday, when you get all this other stuff done, when you no longer have all this other responsibility, how's that working for you? My friend, we all need a community that supports us, holds us accountable, and where you have people who believe in you when you are struggling to believe in yourself. Stop going it alone. It's time for you to go after your dreams and desires. Stop telling yourself that your dreams and desires are selfish. Instead, give yourself permission to do what you want to do. We've been fooled believing that we must sacrifice ourselves for the betterment of others. And instead, I invite you to discover what is possible for you. And I have just the thing for you. It's my next upcoming coaching group where we're going to work on you being confident, believing in yourself, trusting your inner wisdom, being a priority in your life, loving yourself. So, so important. You hear me talk about it all the time, loving yourself And here's my commitment to you. We are going to enjoy our lives. (laughs) Enough of this 2020 BS. So what I invite you to do is go to the link in the show notes. You can find out about my upcoming coaching program. It starts in November, but applications have already begun. And then we're halfway full with enrollment and apply. You're not obligated when you apply, but put your name in there because even just by applying, you're giving yourself permission that you matter, that your dreams matter, that you can have what you desire. So go to the link in the show notes and apply. On a lake, she is dreaming, she is drifting, never been so wide